Let's open our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11. I pray God, His Holy Spirit, upon every one of your hearts to love a subject that is much hated today and a subject that our flesh indeed hates. And that is the holiness that the Lord has called us to. You heard last Lord's Day the goal of this assembly. The reason for the ministry, the reason why we assemble, is to provoke one another unto love and to good works that we might be perfected in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul warned and taught every man that he might present them perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And part of that perfection we shall address this day, and that is that the Lord calls us to be holy. And if we are not living holy lives, we cannot even think that we are perfect before Him. A close personal walk with the Lord God Himself and having His presence with you, His Spirit indwelling you, Christ with you day by day, being one of our chief goals, we must have holy lives. For Christ and the Holy Spirit cannot operate unfettered if we're not living holy lives. For we will quench and grieve that Holy Spirit of God so that He does not bear the fruit in our lives that we should. I could entertain you this morning. I could entertain you with Numbers 22. I could preach for an hour and a half on Balaam and his ass. We could rejoice in the Lord's use of Balaam. I could preach to you Bible prophecy this morning and entertain you with God's glorious works that he's done in the affairs of men according to his own word. We could deal with the politics of our time and apply the word of God to it. We could talk about the current events in our own city. We could take up some cult this morning and take them apart by the Word of God. I could preach to you about Bible economics as I did many, many years ago. But I want to tell you something, that all those topics that I just mentioned, a man in the flesh can walk out of the assembly feeling good about himself. And those in the Spirit haven't learned what the Lord wants us to learn first. And that is to live holy lives. And so my priority, as I promised you that it would be, is to pursue the holiness of God in each of our lives. Mine first and yours next. And I have prayed for every one of you this week that God, by his spirit, will bless you to love what I'm about to say. And I've said this before, and I know it sounds self-serving. But if you leave this assembly disliking this sermon, it's simple what you should do. Repent and get a tape. Because we all need to be holy. Now, I'm sorry about my elocution. It will be less than perfect. But the God I'm describing is perfect. And the holiness that I'm going to describe is perfect. And I pray for you to give me your perfect attention. As my family met this morning for prayer before we came here, I asked them if they would work as hard at hearing as I'll work at speaking. We'd get a lot done today in the Crosby family. Because I want a holy family, and I will not be content with less than that. Amen. 
And I want you fathers to want a holy family. I'm not here to entertain you this day, and I have nothing for your flesh, and you're not going to like this if you're in the flesh at all. This subject is difficult to understand. It's hard to accept. And we've got a lot of opposition to it in our nation to practice it, especially in this year of 2000. We have a whole nation that has no regard for the holiness of God. I remember a brother back there that just said amen, calling me a year ago or so, and asking me the question, maybe it was two years ago, time flies, and I hope it just keeps right on flying, get me out of here. But he, he called and asked, can a Christian be a Christian in 1999? And I knew what he meant by the question. He knew what he meant by the question. It's hard to live a holy life for the Lord Jesus Christ like we should. Now we're here in Leviticus chapter 11. I want to read the 45th verse. The first thing I want to show you from the Word of God, and remember preaching is teaching. It's not an art form. And I I know I said that last Sunday, and I know I said it the Sunday before. But it's because I want to keep you reminded what I'm supposed to accomplish and what you're supposed to accomplish. I'm not supposed to give you a pretty song, and you're not to leave with a pretty feeling. I'm supposed to give you some directions and commandments from the Lord Himself, and you're to leave with conviction, repentance, and purposing to do those things. And I'll leave with them also. I've arrived with them, but I'll leave with them also. In Leviticus 11 and verse 45, we have these words, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. The first thing I want to give you from the word of God is that God expects you to be holy. And this text tells us this. When the Lord says to a group of people, I will be your God, he expects something in return because he is a holy God. He expects us to be holy. And that's why he said, I will be your God. I've brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. And he's called us out of this world to be our God. But he expects us to be holy, for I am holy. How can he possibly inhabit an unholy church? How can he possibly dwell among an unholy people? Because he is holy. Now, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 picks up those words from Leviticus 11.45 and states them to us this way. just want you to know that, you know, if you were to go into the average church in this city today, and I don't say this to belittle them, I say this to warn you that they have departed from the faith. You won't hear preaching on the holiness of God in the 450 Baptist churches in Greenville County. Not like you're going to hear it today. They'll say that that's the Old Testament God. The New Testament God is a God of love, and they exalt the love of God to such a place, and I want to exalt it because if He doesn't love us, that holiness is the most fearful thing that you can imagine. But He does love us, and I'm thankful for that love, but I want to tell you something. The holiness of God is more important and is higher and governs the love of God because He can only love holy objects. Amen. The love is not so great that he can love unholy objects. The holiness is so great that he can love only holy objects. That's why I say one is greater than the other. And if you were to read the whole Bible from cover to cover, if you were to simply sit down with your Godspeed program on a computer and look up the word holy, you'd find out just how great God wants his holiness exalted. But I read here in 1 Peter chapter 1, 
He says, I'm gonna, let's go all the way back to verse 13. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, and brethren, this is the Lord addressing you and me. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And that word conversation there is not talking about our speech habits. It's talking about our manner of living. Verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And it goes on, and we can read on how he describes that we ought to be here in fear because of this holy God that we are dealing with. Now, we're also here in comfort because of the blessed assurance that Jesus has saved us. But he wants us to worship him and live in a way that can only be done successfully by having a vision of the holiness of God. If I can give you a vision this day of the holiness of God, and the Holy Spirit will bless my words to your heart, otherwise, I'm just a lot of noise. You can live a holy life. I can live a holy life. I believe that or I wouldn't be preaching this morning. Listen, we ought to close up the door. There's lots to do on Sunday unless we believe that we can live a holy life. If we can't live a holy life, we can't please the Lord. He's called us to be holy. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Many there be, professing the name of Christ, that are wondering what the will of God is for their life. I know what the will of God is for your life. Are you excited this morning? I'm going to give you the will of God for your life. It's the will of God for my life. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to pray for leading. It's in the black and white print. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. You know, I came from a group of people that were always wondering what the will of God was. You don't have to wonder what the will of God is for your life. He is addressing you right now. He is telling you, this is the will of God. This is my will for you. Verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4, even your sanctification. And sanctification is the act or the process of making someone holy. Amen. When you read that word sanctification, don't get scared. Don't just because it's got a few syllables in it and it's long and it's something and a word we don't use today, don't be scared by it. It just means the act or the process of making you holy. And this is God's will for your life that you will become holy. Right. And then he defines part of that holiness right there in the last part of verse 3 that ye should abstain from fornication. Fornication is a sin of the flesh. Fornication is not allowed in a holy life. Period. You can't do it. You can't think about it. You can't watch it. You can't sing about it. You can't read about it. Amen. Sanctification or being holy excludes fornication. Now, our nation worships at the altar of fornication. It's one of the routes to pleasure and happiness in life, according to them. But this is the will of God. And he goes on to say, verse 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. And that's referring to the fornication of verse 3, if you need help. In sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. Paul had a, sounds like Paul had a situation similar to our country way back then. 
that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. God's called us to holiness. And I beg your attention this morning to consider that the God we worship is holy, and he wants us to be holy. And so we're looking at several statements to that effect in the word of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy unto God, Amen. acceptable unto God, a reasonable, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Right. If you conform, if I conform to this world, we are not holy, because this world is not holy. Look at Titus chapter 2. Amen. Titus chapter 2. The grace of God that is brought in the gospel and that has been presented to all men according to this text teaches us something and it doesn't teach us to relax because our names are written in heaven. Titus 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now if we're to take that grace of God and mean that the vital operation of God, we've got all men in heaven. This is the preaching of the gospel of the grace of God that brings salvation. That's a practical salvation. Hath appeared to all men, and it teaches us something. The grace of God, why we're worshiping today, the message that the New Testament has for us, teaches us something. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Amen. That's what grace should teach. Amen. Grace should not teach us, well, since grace has abounded over sin, we can sin because God's going to forgive us. We, sh- we cannot be content like that. That is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is one of denial. You say, why would God save us just to ask us to deny ourselves? He wants to see a little affection and service back for what he's done for us. And because he's holy. Remember, I want you to present your bodies a living Sacrifice. sacrifice. Not a dying sacrifice as a martyr. A living sacrifice of cutting off those pleasures that are conformed to this world. That's what we've been called to. What's pure religion? I've already criticized the other religious groups in our county this morning. So what is pure religion? Beautiful. James 1.27. Keeping yourself unspotted from the world. I'm going after your spots this morning. And before this day's out, we'll go back to James chapter 1, and I'll tell you, I'll show you there how the Lord gives us the illustration of a man looking in a mirror. He, looks in a, he wakes up in the morning, looks in a mirror. He sees gobs of sleep dirt hanging in both eyes, several blemishes on his face, and a couple spots of dirt. He looks in the mirror, sees that he's one pitiful creature. And then he goes out and forgets what he looked like and walks up to people and expects them to be pleased at his appearance. Well, I've, I've got a mirror for you this morning, and you're holding it in your laps. Amen. It's the mirror of the Word of God. Amen. And we're supposed to look in that mirror and let it show us the spots. 
Because James 1.27 concludes by saying we're to be unspotted. He's still referring to that illustration that he gave of the mirror, a piece of glass. Did you know we're called to be saints? Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, called to be saints. You've been called to be a saint. Well, I've heard of St. Christopher and St. Thomas and St. this and I know the Catholics get so many, they even have All Saints Day for all the ones they forgot. Amen. November 1st. That's why we have All Hallowed Evening as part of their celebration to get prepared for the All Saints Day. But you've been called to be a saint. What's a saint? A sanctified one. What's a sanctified one? A holy one. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Amen. We don't have to be worried when we see the word saint. You've been called to be saints. You've been called to be holy ones for God. Now, brethren, I know that God has eternally chosen you to be holy. Do you all know that? Amen. I know that you know that. Do you know that Jesus Christ died to make you legally holy? Amen. I know that too, and I know that you know it. Has the Holy Spirit regenerated us and given us a new nature Amen. that is holy? Amen. So we're vitally holy. You know that? I know that. Amen. Will someday we be holy? Holy? Amen. And I mean the first one with a W and an H. First Thessalonians 5.23, I pray God to preserve your body, soul, and spirit, holy and blameless, until His coming. So we believe that. Amen. So we don't have to rework those four, do we? Nope. We don't have to rework those four aspects of sanctification or holiness? Nope. Good. We can settle on the one that hurts. Yep. Amen. And that is God has called us to be actively pursuing a life of holiness Amen. in our lives. What is holiness? We're going to move on now from the fact that God has called us, and I could turn you to other places, but we've seen enough. But what is it? Holiness is spiritual perfection or purity. You say, don't, shouldn't you modify that? You know, whenever I read the Lord calling us to holiness, He just says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And He doesn't modify it. When I see someone in this assembly getting so holy that they look like they're too holy, we'll preach on modifying it. Amen. I haven't had that problem yet. I haven't had to go to the Lord and say, keep me from being too holy. Right. The problem is we're not holy enough. Amen. So I'm not going to modify it, and I'm not going to worry about your understanding. If you were to leave today convinced that you ought to and should be and could be holy, we'll be okay until you reach that point. Do you follow me? Yep. There'll be no error. When someone espouses a doctrine that you, that you have finally reached a stage of, a sin, of sinlessness, then we'll address it. When you're holy, when something is holy, it is something that has been set apart for religious use or observance because it's for God's use and God is holy. So it needs to be consecrated or dedicated or set aside from any ordinary use. Follow my words. Now I've got a definition here so long that if I read it to you, you'd choke and go to sleep. But just follow some of my words. To be holy is to be free from all contamination of sin and evil, morally and spiritually unsullied, possessing moral perfection as found in God. You say, well, you're describing something too high. I thought we just read, be ye holy. He says, for I am holy and even as I am holy. Be ye perfect, 
even as I am perfect, is what the Lord said in another place. Holiness is being conformed to the will of God. Amen. You act, live, talk, and think like the will of God, entirely devoted to God. That's a holy life. Morally and spiritually unstained, free from sinful affection, of a godly character in life, sanctified, saintly, sinless. You say, there you go with that word that I get scared about hearing, sinless. Well, First John says, if you've got his seed in you, you will be sinless. Amen. You say, but shouldn't you modify it? I've already explained that, and I'm not going to. That's a definition of holiness. Sanctification, as I've explained, is the act or the process of being made holy. God looks at sinners, and by his sanctifying process, which he eternally chose us, Christ died for us legally, the Spirit applies it vitally, and will eventually be completely holy. He makes us holy through the process of sanctification. Now, how does it relate to righteousness? Righteousness is being legally correct. Think about righteousness. Righteousness is always doing what is legally the right thing to do. Righteousness isn't as high as the holiness of God. All you got to do is read the Bible to find that out. God isn't asking you constantly to worship Him in the beauty of righteousness or the legality of righteousness. Righteousness is doing what is legally correct at all times. Holiness is being morally perfect. If righteousness is legally perfect, holiness is morally perfect. Your spirit, your body, your, your, affection, your affections, your emotions, your desires, all of it, being conformed to the will of God, that's holiness. It's beyond just merely doing what is right and being legally correct before God. It's a passion to be conformed to God. Holiness is extreme. You know, we've got everything today. Our, our advertising has gone to such lengths that they can't get your attention anymore. So now they've got extreme this and extreme that. We can't. The Olympics aren't good enough anymore. Even though they've added all those sports, we now have to have extreme sports. Are you, are you all aware of what I'm talking about? Nope. Crazy sports to get your attention because we're. It's like a drug. America's entertainment is like a drug. We've been dulled because we've seen enough, and so they've got to get more extreme, just like they get more extreme in all their entertainment in order to give us the same boost and stimulus. Well, I want to tell you something. Holiness is extreme. If you want something extreme to work at in your life, it's holiness. Holiness is high, and it's broad when compared to righteousness. It hates any and all evil. Or moral imperfection. Holiness is intolerant. That's why it's not popular today. It is intolerant of evil. It will not put up with evil. God's holiness will not put up with evil and hates all evil, and so should ours. Right. We read of the Lord Himself in 1 John 1 5 that He we should walk in the light as He is in the light. Amen. And that's in His holiness we should walk holy lives. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and walk in darkness, which is not a holy life, we lie and do not the truth. We are messed up. We have deceived ourselves. God is holy. We could look at many places about that. How about James 1? Since you're there close by in the New Testament, James chapter 1, here's what God says about His relationship to sin. Lord, help us. 
James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Sin can't make even a start with the Lord, and the Lord doesn't even try to do it to any man. He is above sin. He is holy. He hates sin. He can't even be moved by it, tempted by it, attracted by it, because he's holy. He has an infinite hatred for sin. Look at Psalm 5. The fifth psalm will give us a statement that isn't heard very often today. There's only one verse they know, most of them, and that's John 3.16. How many times in my life have I heard, you can have the Bible, but I've got John 3.16. It's the gospel in a nutshell. Psalm 5. When you look through the goalposts at a football game, what verse do you have up there? They, someone ought to go there and put up a big sign that says Psalm 5.5. 5. But let's read it. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Amen. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Now this is the word of God as much as John 3.16 is the word of God. And I'm thankful for John 3.16 because it gets me as a Gentile in the world into the love of God. I'm thankful for it. But I don't want you to ever forget Psalm 5, 5, and 6. This is what the Lord thinks about foolish men. And this is what the Lord thinks about workers of iniquity. He hates them and abhors them because he is holy. Amen. Can you find the little book of Habakkuk? Amen. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. You're a couple turns too far. Come back and look for the little book of Habakkuk. I want to read a verse there that helps describe what we're trying to do is define what, is it, what does holiness mean? We're here to learn. I'm here to teach. You're here to be taught. We're both here to leave this place repenting and converting and pursuing the Lord. That's right. The way He wants to be pursued. I read in Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, and this is a great definition for holiness, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. That's the Lord. Amen. You are of pure eyes. Your eyes are too pure to look on iniquity or to behold evil. Now the Lord sees everything. Do we have any doubt about that today? I, I thought I read somewhere in the Bible that the eyes of the Lord are in all the earth beholding the evil and the good. Amen. Doesn't it say that somewhere too? Do we have a problem? Nope. This right here is to look upon it approvingly. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil approvingly, and canst not look approvingly on iniquity. Whenever God sees iniquity or evil, he hates it, and his purpose and intents, which will be accomplished, will be to destroy it. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. He's going to look inside me and find every vestige of the flesh and destroy it, so that I'm in his presence absolutely perfectly, W-H-O, holy, then holy, H-O-L-Y. Holy, holy. Amen. I will be as holy as the Son of God because he's going to profess that I am his brother. That is exciting. Amen. And if you think it's any less, you've misunderstood what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. God predestinated us that we'd be conformed to the image of his Son. Right. I want to be, I want the demons to take one look at Jonathan Crosby and say something very different than they can say nowadays. Amen. I want them to be able to look and say, you're a holy one of God. You're one of his saints. 
But my big brother, they're going to look at him and say, we know that now it's our time. They said 2,000 years ago, why art thou come to torment us before our time? But they know their time is coming. God is holy. He is so holy that you cannot worship him if you're going to play with this subject. If you have spots of the flesh, your worship is unacceptable. Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. The holiness of God is extreme. It is intolerant. It hates any and all evil. It doesn't say I can put up with some just as long as you are generally a good Joe. That's how we all wish we were accepted. It wants absolute holiness. Look at Ezekiel 20. Here's the prophet telling Israel, verse 39, As for you, O house of... Ezekiel 20, 39, As for you, O house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, Go ye, serve ye every one his idols, and hereafter also, if ye will not hearken unto me, but pollute ye my holy name no more with your gifts and with your idols. Do you understand that verse? The Lord God says, Go be an idol worshiper. Because if you want to have idols in your life and try to worship me, you're polluting my holy name and it's unacceptable. So go ahead and be an idol worshiper. Amen. That's extreme. That's extreme. He doesn't want us playing with his religion. You know, we've got 168 hours in a week before we meet again here. How will we live? Will we live a holy life that pleases the holy God? Or are we going to have spots of the world and of the flesh on us so that we come back and our worship is unacceptable, your prayers are hindered, and God's ear is stopped up that it cannot hear and his hand shortened that it cannot save because we haven't lived holy lives. We're looking at the definition. It is it is intolerant of compromise with evil. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. One of my favorite verses. Amen. Now everyone knows Joshua 24, 15. Every father should. What are the words from Joshua 24, 15 that every father should know? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But that's not my favorite verse in this place. I hope that's a that's a given for the fathers in this congregation. There's another one. Verse 19. Amen. Look at this. The p- between verses 15, where Mo- Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, the people said, we'll do it. Joshua's response, did he say, praise the Lord, we've had a revival here. Thank the Lord for souls being saved. Oh, brethren, it's so good to see your zeal. Here's what Joshua said. Now, Joshua was an experienced man. What did he do for 40 years? <laughs> the poor man walked around behind Moses and watched all the troubles that Israel gave Moses and watched a generation coming up that had all sorts of idols. And so Joshua says in verse 19, Joshua said unto the people who were willing to serve the Lord, ye cannot serve the Lord. Now, what if our... Dr. Billy Graham ever tried that in a stadium of 50,000 people and took his approach to be, you cannot serve the Lord. How big would the next crusade be? But this is the word of the Lord to us. Amen. 
Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. God does forgive. Eternally, legally, vitally, and finally. But if you are compromising with him in his worship and trying to live a life where you conform to the world, have your idols and the Lord at the same time, he does not forgive that. He will judge that. You will hinder your relationship with him. You will quench and grieve the spirit of God. He will not say because they are trying to serve me partially, therefore I will blot out their imperfections. He wants us all. He wants all of us. He wants us to worship him with our whole desire and our whole heart without compromising. Look at that text. You cannot serve the Lord. They just said they would serve the Lord. What gave him the right to say that? Because he knew their stiff-necked nature that they kept looking at all those Canaanite nations and adopting and adapting their practices and their fleshly lusts. You cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. And so they made a covenant with Joshua, and Joshua set up a big stone and said, this stone's a witness between us and the Lord that we're going to serve the Lord and follow him wholly. You know what it tells us? And if you've ever read the book of Judges, you don't need to know, because you you don't need me to tell you, you already know. They only lived according to that covenant as long as Joshua lived and the elders that ruled with him. As soon as they died, there they went. And the whole book of Judges is the nation going after other gods, God sending a a foreign power to destroy them, in their grief, crying out to the Lord and repenting, the Lord raising up a judge, delivering them once again to worship the Lord. That judge dies, and there they go again, every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. Holiness cannot be compromised to worship God. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's grab a New Testament description of holiness. Holiness can be called biblical separation. Amen. Godly separation from the world. Amen. Here's why. Beginning at verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Those are glorious verses. God is offering to walk among his people and dwell among his people and to be our God and to be our father, and we can be his sons and daughters. But he's asking something from us. Because I am holy, you must be holy, and you need to come out from the world and be separate and don't touch the unclean thing. And what is the unclean thing? Anything you want to make it. (laughs) Anything you want to make it. Anything to do with idols, false worship, paganism, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all that is in the world. Don't touch it. If you touch it, you're going to be spotted by it. If you're spotted by it, you're no longer holy. If you're no longer holy, then you are hindering the presence of God in this assembly and in your own life. 
Enoch walked with God because before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Who, who wants that testimony? Amen. Amen. That he pleased God and God walked with him because he was a holy man. You can know that for certain because God couldn't walk with a man if he wasn't holy because the Lord our God is holy. There it is, the description. You say, oh, I don't like that verse. It says to come out from among them and be ye separate. But can't we be Christians in the world? Can't we enjoy the world and the Lord? Nope. Not the Lord of the Bible. That's right. Not the Lord of heaven. There's many Jesus and Lords, but only one that we accept and worship. And he does not accept compromise in his worship. The definition of holiness, we've just looked at it an extreme moral perfection that avoids and hates sin and will not be spotted even by the world and wants to come out and be separate from the world. It's biblical separation. Now, I've already said enough to tell you that it's important. What is holy? What is holy? Well, we've already prayed to God as being the Holy Father. God is holy. The Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. What about your Bibles? What are they called in the Scripture? Holy Scriptures. Holy. The Word of God is holy. What are His angels called? Holy angels. What's His temple called? His holy temple. You know, even as a church, according to Ephesians chapter 2, about verses 19 through 21, we are the holy habitation of God through the Spirit. Everything associated with God must be holy. That's why those priests, you know, I know when you're reading your Bibles through, you come to the book of Leviticus and you say, oh, this is a hard book to read through. But I want to tell you, you know what the whole purpose of that book is still there for? Those are all the steps you had to go through to approach to God because he is holy. Where did we start out this morning? Isn't that amazing? In the book of Leviticus chapter 11. All those rituals they went through, the washings, the care, the ornaments. Turn to Exodus chapter 28. Let's look at one of them. Exodus 28. It's holiness. The book of Leviticus is there to remind us that all these ritualistic ordinances and cleansings and the consecration of things. I mean, if Aaron was going to wear something, it had to be consecrated wholly to the Lord. It couldn't be used anywhere else. The whole book. Don't hate the book of Leviticus. Read that book of Leviticus and say, Wow, thank you, Lord Jesus, for making me holy. And get an appreciation for the holiness of God. They could not approach to Him. I mean, they went through every aspect of the clothes they wore, the materials the clothes were made out of, the colors of the clothes, how it was sanctified, set apart, how the animal was to be divided up, what they were to do with creeping things, what was to be done with leprosy, all of it. Because God is holy. He even explains how you're to have your sewer system work in the days of Israel. Because he said, when I walk through the camp, I don't want to see an abomination. Even things like that are taken notice of because God is holy. Amen. I want to read, you're there in Exodus, but I want to read you a verse from another place in the Old Testament, Isaiah 57, 15. We're talking about the importance of holiness. Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. That's a pretty lofty description of God, isn't it? 
the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, and it says whose name is Holy, with a capital H. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. When we come before the holiness of God, it ought to humble us down to the ground where we acknowledge that he is holy, that we're thankful for the hope of holiness through the Lord Jesus Christ and for him by his spirit to help make us holy. And the humble and the contrite ones that have a prayer like that, God says he dwells with them in the high and holy place, in his holy hill. Now you're over there in Exodus 28. We're looking at the importance of the holiness of God. You know, as I was looking through Exodus and Leviticus, wondering which of the ordinances and consecrations might be meaningful to you, I pulled this one out because we don't have time to study the book of Leviticus. But I want you to see... In Exodus 28, I want us to begin reading at verse 36. This is describing the uniform or the, the clothing of Aaron the high priest. And I hope that your King James translators, I know they did, I hope your King James translators and the printers of your Bibles acknowledged how God gave these words. Verse 36, And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold. Now we've got a little plate of pure gold. Engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet. Holiness to the Lord. Amen. Are those in all capitals in your Amen. Bible? Amen. You say that's just a printing choice. That's an inspiration choice Amen. and a preservation choice, and I'm thankful for it. Verse 37, And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre. Upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. How important is the holiness of God? Aaron had that tall mitre on his head. On that mitre right over his forehead was blue lace with a gold plate saying like a signet would read, holiness to the Lord. And wherever Aaron went, there was that gold plate stating holiness to the Lord. So that everything Aaron did in the execution of the worship of God would be acceptable because he is proclaiming and acknowledging and honoring the holiness of God. Otherwise, it wouldn't be acceptable. This is how important it is to the Lord. I read of four great beasts that are around the throne of God. What do they say in their worship of God? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, and which is to come, created for the purpose of praising His holiness. Glorious. When the demons met Jesus Christ on earth, what would they do? Run and hide? Or would they run and worship? They would run and worship and say, We know Thee who Thou art. Thou art the the Holy One of God. They didn't like to see Him because they were wondering why He was there. Was He there to torment them before their time? But they worshipped Him because He was holy. They know the holiness of God. You know when the Lord needs to swear like He swore to David that from David's loins He would raise up Jesus Christ to sit in His throne? What does He swear by? His holiness. holiness. When, When the Lord wants to reach up high, 
of his word, what does he reach up for? His holiness. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. How important is holiness? Hebrews 12, for those of you who have chapter concepts in your connections in your mind, is the chapter of God's chastening of his children. But why does God chasten us? Verse 10 tells us in the last part of that verse that we might be partakers of His holiness. God chastens us and deals in our lives and brings trials and temptations upon us in order that we might be partakers of His holiness. He wants us to partake of His holiness. And that's why God deals with us in Hebrews 12. Now we can read in verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down. When the Lord brings chastening into your life, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Esau was a profane person. You know what profane means in the Bible? The opposite of holy. Esau was not holy at all. Esau did not care about his birthright. Esau did not care about whom he married. And therefore, he was a grief to Isaac and Rebekah. The Bible tells us that. Even in things like that, God can pull a man up and show him that he's profane because he valued his hunger more than his birthright. That's a profane man that takes the things that God has given and doesn't put them in their rightful place. But the text says that we are to follow holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. If we're not holy, we're not going to see the Lord practically. And if there isn't holiness, we won't see Him in any way. But the point of this chapter is practical holiness. I believe that some of you want to see the Lord. You want to know the Lord. You want to walk with the Lord. You want the Lord to dwell with you, to fill you, to move you, and to have Him flowing out of you like a river of living water. We must follow after holiness to have that. There is no shortcut. I read over in Revelation 21 and verse 27 that there there shall be nothing that defileth that ever enters into heaven. Nothing that's unholy will ever get into heaven. This is God is holy and everything in his presence must be holy. What kind of hands are men in the New Testament supposed to lift up toward heaven when they pray? Holy hands. hands. And if they're not holy, what can we presume from that passage? The prayers are not heard because the sins and iniquities will stop up his ears. It's not that he cannot hear. He will not hear if we are not holy. Moses was keeping sheep on the backside of the desert for Jethro, his father-in-law, and for himself. And he happened upon a bush that was burning and wasn't consumed. 
And the Lord spoke to him out of that bush. But what, what was the first instruction that Moses received from the Lord? Take your shoes off, for you're standing on holy ground. You know, we read that and we blow right over it, don't we? We, we? we can tend to blow right over that. When we approach the Lord, we better take an effort in our souls, if we don't take off our shoes, to give Him the glory and honor due unto His name and to His holiness, to approach Him reverently and seriously and soberly. There was that conversation, but the first thing the Lord wanted of Moses was, get your shoes off, because you're standing on special ground. I don't want those polluted things. I'll accept you, but not that leather. The Lord's very particular. Go read the book of Leviticus again about how all the clothing was to be made very carefully. Look, at we just read it, how that miter better appear. And I want to tell you that if Aaron were to turn that miter around and have holiness peering out the back off that miter or not wear the miter someday, I, you know what would have happened. The same thing that happened to some other men who offered strange fire before the Lord. Let's not be offering any strange fire here. And you know, one time Joshua, as he looked at the city of Jericho and saw that great thing, that great city that he was supposed to take, the first conquest in the land of Canaan, he saw a man standing over against him with a sword in his hand. Right. I wish the Lord appeared to me like that. He does. He does in his word. But Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for them or for us? And he said, As the captain of the Lord's host, am I come. Amen. Wow. Isn't that exciting? What's the first thing he said after that? Take your shoes off. Right. You're on holy ground again. When we come into the presence of God, it better be a sober thing for us. Listen, brethren, it, it's, we didn't get together this morning to sing, Put Your Hand in the Hand of the Man Amen. from the 1970s. We got together this morning to sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And in our private worship and in our daily lives, we should treat the Lord as being a holy God. Amen. And it, from that, fear and reverence for His holiness will flow a holy hatred for sin and a love for holiness and righteousness in our thoughts, in our speech, in our lives. Amen. Elihu debated with Job. Elihu was the only man in the book of Job that understood. But there was one other, I said, the only man. There was another being that debated with Job. Amen. The Lord came down and spoke to Job out of a whirlwind. I was explaining to the children last night, what a whirl what's a whirlwind today? Tornado. Tornado. I love the Lord. How impressive are his appearings to men. But he comes down in a tornado to talk to Job. Speaks a couple chapters and Job says, I put my hand over my mouth. I don't have any more to say because he had just had a visitation from a holy God. And for Job to be questioning the integrity and the righteousness and the holiness of God in his dealings toward himself, the Lord shut him up very quickly. Peter was once on a boat, having fished all night, hadn't, didn't catch a thing. And the Lord said, throw your nets on the other side. I said, Lord, we've been toiling all night long and haven't caught a single fish. Nevertheless, according to your word, I'll throw the net over on the other side of the boat. And when he tried to pull it up, what happened? The, the nets broke and the ships began to sink. I praise you, Lord, for your way of doing things. Isn't that enough to stir your soul? Do you have a soul that loves the Lord God and the way he deals with men? There was no question about who Peter was dealing with. And what were Peter's words as a result of that encounter? 
Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Because when we see God in His glory, when we see God in His holiness, what it should do to us is be a light ray from heaven, pointing out the spots of the world and the flesh on us. And we want to get rid of those, and we know with them we're unacceptable to Him. Can you... Here he had just seen a fantastic deliverance. And he says, depart from me. Wouldn't you want to say, Lord, can I follow with you? Not when you see true holiness and you know you're sinful and you haven't been taught about forgiveness yet. Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is the best vision in the Bible of the holiness of God. I mentioned it in my prayer. I'll refer to it very quickly. Isaiah chapter 6. Is it the best? I don't know. That's... That's a matter of interpretation. It's one of the good ones. Here's a prophet, the prophet Isaiah. We don't read too many wicked things about the prophet Isaiah. He was a holy man. How do I know that? Because the New Testament tells me that they were the holy prophets of God. He was a holy man. God had chosen him, consecrated him, dedicated him, set him aside for holy service. And here's what we read about him. Verse 1, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord. Lord, help us all to see that and to see the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Is that beautiful? Amen. You say, I wish I could be there. Well, let's keep reading what effect it would have on you. Then said I, Woe is me! Exclamation point in your holy scriptures. For I am undone. A holy man meets the holy God and he says, I am undone. Woe is me. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Before I get done today, I hope that the levity and the humor and the joking, and the jesting, and the mocking at sin, and the dirty stories, and everything that we let come out of our lips, and we hear from other lips, we will be seriously convicted about it. Right. Like this man was. All of a sudden, he saw lips used for a good purpose. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And he knew the things that had come out of his lips that were profane, that were light, that were cheap, that were idle. Do you remember what the Lord said? We shall give an account of every idle word. Amen. We ought to, it is almost impossible to preach sobriety today. You do not even understand it. Because our whole society is given to laughter and lightness and jesting and joking and foolishness. Our grandparents didn't live that way. In a couple of quick generations, we have degenerated seriously in this very thing right here that Isaiah was very convicted about. Why did he feel undone? For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And he saw him in his holy splendor. 
And then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and that iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for taking away our sins and our iniquities. Also I heard the voice of that Lord saying, it's the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? How could you not heed that call? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And brethren... He's calling all of us today. He's calling us to be His saints, His sanctified ones, His holy ones. The Lord of glory is calling you. You're a young lady. He's calling you. He's calling all of us to be holy. Let's not just look at that and see Isaiah in it. Let's see ourselves in it because I've already shown you that He's calling us to be holy for He is holy. Turn now to 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. My final point for this morning is going to be, are there any rewards or motives beyond what we've already looked at that ought to move us to being holy for the Lord's sake? Tonight we're going to look at the incredible opposition we have from this world and the application of what we're talking about and the cure for holy lives. But I want you to see the incredible emphasis that's placed on it in the Bible and when a person truly sees the Lord, that He is holy. As we read in Psalm 99 and every place we've read since. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the first verse appears to belong with the 6th chapter. Now you say you're bold. Well, I don't read anywhere where God said He would inspire the chapter and verse divisions of the Bible. But you'll see that verse 1 of chapter 7 belongs with the last part of verse of chapter 6. Right. Excuse me. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. Now is that a text or not? Amen. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Does that picture in Isaiah give you any fear? Amen. The fear of God. Perfecting holiness. That's what we want. I haven't overstated it this morning. That we want to be as holy as the Son of God. That we want to strive to be as holy as God. That we want to, stroll, that we want to strive to be holy for He is holy. I have not overstated it because this text says perfecting holiness. And there's a motive for it. Two motives. One at the end of the verse. One at the beginning of the verse. The one at the end of the verse is the fear of the Lord. The one at the beginning of the verse is precious promises. And where are those precious promises? But in the verses we read a few minutes ago in chapter 6. What are those promises? Verse 16, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will receive you, the last part of verse 17. I will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Those are the promises. God is willing to descend from His high and holy throne and live in and with us. Amen. That's mind-boggling. Amen. The holy God will come off His holy throne from His holy habitation and dwell with sinners. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. I'll walk with them and dwell with them. I will receive you. I will receive you. Does that comfort you at all in the light of this holiness? 
I will receive you. He can't receive me. I will receive you. Those are the promises. Having therefore, therefore is there in order to draw a conclusion from the verses of cha- the last few verses of chapter 6. That's right. Having therefore these promises. Dearly beloved, with these promises laid out before us, are you all willing, eager, convicted, provoked to perfect holiness in the fear of God? Amen. Can we walk out of here loving holiness? It's a dead subject today. It's not popular. It's too intolerant. It's too extreme. There's not enough fun attached to it. But I want to tell you, if you live a holy life, the Bible tells me that at God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. But there are pleasures realized by a holy person, a saint, not by anyone else. If you're spotted in the flesh right now, if you're spotted by the flesh and by this world, for you to look across the great chasm that I'm talking about and hear what I'm describing, it looks very unpleasant. And so by faith, you must go across that chasm and say, I'm going to cast myself upon the Lord and live a holy life like He expects me to and He has called me to out of fear of Him and out of the precious promises that He is offering, even though it looks unpleasant because I'm going to have to give up things for that holiness. Because when you're in the flesh, let me tell you, if you've given ground to the flesh, my words are not pleasant words. But if you by faith will say, there are the promises, I believe what he described. That is the holy God of the Bible. That God is not taught much today. Holiness is not taught much today. But by faith, I believe it from the word of God. And I'm going to step out and I'm going to cut the world loose. And I'm going to live a holy life you will have joy of the Holy Ghost inside you that will far exceed what you gave up. Because you'll have the presence of God with you. And what could you ask for above that? Are there any other motives? Listen, according to regeneration, Ephesians chapter 4, we have a new man within us. You can do this. We have a new man that is created after Christ Jesus in righteousness and True true holiness. That new man is inside you. He is enabled and he is renewed day by day. You are able to live a holy life. But you've got to make some choices. And that's to cut off the flesh. And to avoid the flesh. And to be separate. And not to touch it. We're going to talk about how to do that tonight. But right now I want to propel you toward it. I want to convict you that you ought to. And the serious ones... The spiritual ones, the saints, will want to come back tonight to hear more about actually putting it into practice in their lives. Right now, I want to convict you that we need it. Jesus died for us so that we were once the servants of sin unto unrighteousness, and we were free from holiness. But He died for us so that we would become slaves to holiness and free from sin. That's why Jesus died for us. To have us in this world become the servants of righteousness unto holiness. That's Romans chapter 6. I've already shown you that God's chastening His his fatherly love that He shows us when He chastens us. If a father neglects his children, he hates them. If a father chastens his children, he loves them. God loves us abundantly and He chastens us. And we looked at why He chastens us 
that he might form holiness in us and we might become partakers of his holiness. Right. According to Hebrews 12, you know, I read in 1 John 3, 3, that every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Amen. What hope? The hope of Jesus Christ coming. Do you, know what you're, do you know how much you're going to worry about your business when Jesus Christ comes? Do you know how much you're going to worry about your television when Jesus Christ comes? Do you know how much you're going to worry about your fleshly appetites when Jesus Christ comes? He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure, as pure as Jesus Christ. Because nothing matters. Do you really mean that? Nothing matters? Nothing matters except pursuing God with our whole desire and our whole heart. Nothing matters. The apostle could come along and say, in having food and raiment, let us be there with content. No one likes that text because we all love our houses too much. And don't they create a great deal of distraction and trouble in our lives? More on that tonight. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, this is my last verse. Beginning at verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Now, Jesus Christ has promised to come back. This third chapter of 2 Peter is that there be scoffers that would come along and say, well, listen, things have been rolling along since the creation of the world. Where is his coming? The Lord is not slack. The Lord keeps his promises. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And brethren, that verse, so misunderstood, is for you and for me today. Amen. I'm glad he hasn't come yet. There's more to be done for him. So that when he comes, he has at least one saint Amen. that stands before him holy. Amen. Can you all say that with me as I said that? Amen. This verse, so misunderstood, so abused, is for us today. Amen. He doesn't want any of us to perish, but all of us to perfect holiness in the fear of God before his coming. Verse 10, With the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, all the things that we worry about and get distracted with and care about, and seek after all these, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Amen. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent Amen. that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Amen. That's holiness. Amen. It's all going to get burned up. You say you're almost describing a life of being a monk. Thank you. You've paid attention this morning, and I appreciate that. We, True saints of God ought to look more like monks than they ought to look like uh, then they ought to look like Americans in the year 2000. 
obsessed with more and more of the carnal things of this life, discontent with what they do have, pursuing more with every waking minute and every bit of energy they have, instead of pursuing the Lord and His holiness. May God help us to be convicted by what we've heard so far and what we'll hear tonight if He tarries. And remember that the Lord isn't slack concerning His promise. He's given us a window of time for us to repent and to seek Him with holy lives. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.